I grew up believing that um, I was part of a global black community. Mm. And my interest and curiosities always pointed east, always pointed uh, abroad. So I've always been interested in um, the, the, the activities, the cultures, the ideas, the philosophies and cosmologies of the global black diaspora, whether we are on the continent, we are in the Caribbean, South America, Europe, uh, Middle East and Asia. You know, it's always been an interest to me. What's going on, y'all? You have just tuned in to the Black Shutter podcast. On this show, I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work, their challenges, and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. Most of us love a great travel photograph. And I'm not referring to the sunny beach postcard you buy at a gift shop at a resort. I'm talking more about the photos that document an unfamiliar culture in a way that makes the viewer feel like they were there. Photos that make you smell the food or dance to the music or sweat with the people working in them. Now, while being able to travel and make photographs seems like a dream job, and I'm sure it is, many people underestimate the amount of skill it takes to document another culture in a short period of time. You must have an open, curious, and compassionate personality to make international photography that leaves an imprint. And you must also know how to document the community that you already live in. Our guest today grew up believing she was part of a global black community. She grew up with a pan-African perspective of the world and uses her photography to expand and explore for the betterment of the world. She is the co-author of the independently published Mphone, Women Photographers of the African Diaspora, the first anthology in nearly 30 years that highlights photography produced by women of African descent. She is a frequent contributor to the New York Times and her work has been exhibited nationally and internationally. Layla Amatala Bahrain, welcome to the Black Shutter Podcast. How you feeling out there, sis? Hey, Idris, how are you? I'm great. Everything's wonderful. Yo, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So, yo, it's been two years of us <laughs> trying to make this conversation happen. Two years. Two years. And I remember I was one of the first people you had lined up that you wanted to chat with for the podcast. Absolutely. And life happened, 2020 went in full effect, mm -hmm. and uh, we were all there, so we know what happened. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and here we are two years later, 2022, got a few numbers flipped around, you know, mm -hmm. and so here we are. Here we are. So, um, but you know what? I always feel like everything happens the way it's supposed to um, on time, you know, so I'm happy to be having this conversation with you today. Um, yeah. And the funny you. thing, is, you're, you're welcome. Um, so I discovered you and your work a few years, uh, wait, it had to be around 2016. And I remember Adorama was having, Adorama is a photo store in New York. And I remember they were having these live events. And one of the live events I decided to go to, you were actually moderating. It was a conversation between you, Michelle Agents, and Achille Ramses. I don't know if you remember that. Of course, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And for those out there who don't know, like, first of all, those three names, like Layla, Michelle, and Achille, like on the same panel is a very, very powerful discussion. So oh, a, man. Yo. <laughs> It was so I was like, I have to go to this. And I didn't really know this is when I was just like really starting out and getting um understand photography and going to exhibits and panel discussions and all of that. So I'm discovering these three powerful women at the same time. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And I reached out to you on on Facebook Messenger. And I was like, mm -hmm. man, this sis is like all over the world, you know, traveling through photography. And in my mind, I'm like, how does somebody travel the world 
through photography. So I reached out to you. And this Black Shutter was not even a thing. It was not even a blink at that moment. But I reached out to you just like, like, hey, do you mind if I like keep in touch with you and I, and pick your brain about how to do some things? And we're like, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know? So um, yeah, it was just it was just great seeing you moderate that panel, you know? I was so honored and also I was uh shook. <laughs> I was so nervous because like you mentioned, Michelle Agents and Khalil Ramsey's, they are pioneers in our field. Mm-hmm. And so when Brent reached out to me, I said yes, you know, because I think it was my year of yes. I mean, I think every year is my year of yes. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I'm always like opportunity. Opportunity means learning, growth. And so um, I'm a little bit stage shy. I'm a, I'm a little shy. So I was like, you know, this is the opportunity to one, be in conversation with women, two women, two photojournalists that I am so in awe of. And, and they've opened up doors for me. So I am honored to sit with them. And then two, it's a, it's a little, um, it's a big opportunity to also um, kind of get over my my fear of uh, <laughs> being live, I suppose, you know. So that was 2016. How, yeah, your, how has your fear shifted since then? I think I think um, I think I have a healthy bit of nervousness when I am about to be in front of an audience. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's healthy. It keeps you present. Uh, and so I feel like it's shifted more to the healthy side and less to the uh, kind of scarcity mindset or like, you know, being just kind of anxious about about what really, <laughs> you know. So I, I, I'm, I'm feeling a lot more confident. And when I look back at that, <laughs> that, that video, because I forget it's on YouTube, mm-hmm. I'm just, okay, you did a good job. You did a good job. And that was a huge honor, like I said. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the thing for, every, for all of us to remember, especially creatives, is that when we're making work, is is gonna look old, eventually, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna grow and develop and evolve beyond where we're at presently. So, Absolutely. like you looking at that video, you know, it's, it's important when we look back at our work to remember that we did the best that we could at that moment. Exactly. And, you know, and and it's also a reminder to just do the shit now. Do it exactly. now, right? Don't wait for it to be perfect. Just do it now. Release it, and then you can tweak it as you go. Exactly. I mean, going back to thinking about doing the best that you could, doing the best that you could at that moment and really being uh, gentle with yourself and uh, showing a sense of pride because it takes a lot to get out and to make photographs and to um, manifest your ideas and in, in, in photographs, <laughs> like I mentioned. And so um, when I look back at my work sometimes, it, you know, and it, the interesting thing too is that for many years I didn't show some of my photographs because I looked at them and there were some imperfections and some blur and, and, and this, that, and the third. And so at the time I didn't show it. But then like I started looking back at my archives and I'm like, oh, that's an interesting photograph, you know, and I'm not afraid of those imperfections anymore. So I share them and I'm always interested in um, how people react, you know, to to the photographs that I once was afraid to share. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, you said it. You ha- we have to be um, gentle with ourselves. You know, yeah. so we have to speak to ourselves the way that we would encourage a, a best friend who came to us feeling down and out. When our friends come come at us like, yo, man, I suck, man. I did this project. Take a look. Like, it's horrible. Like, <laughs> if you're a good friend, you're not going to you're not going to help beat them down. Right. You're going to be like, nah, like, look at it. This was good. You know, you nailed it here. And, you know, you did this route, whatever. We need to do that with ourselves at the same time. It's true. It's true. It's definitely true. So I mentioned that it, it's taken about two years for us to kind of like lock down our calendars and make this a recording happen. And at one point, we we were we were scheduled a few times. And I think um, one day I think I was sick. And then another day you were traveling or working on an assignment or something. One time we almost recorded with you being in Senegal. Yeah. Being, me being here. So, you know, Needless to say, you are a woman on the go. You know, you, and one thing I, I really admired was you would take a few weeks or a few months every year, I think you mentioned, to, to go to Senegal, you know? Yeah. Um, so 
do you have roots in Senegal or West Africa or like like where's your family from originally? I think the interesting thing is that I've, I spent so many years in Senegal that uh, many people believe that I'm Senegalese, which which I love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do love that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but my my family is from South Carolina. They are from the coast, um, Pauly's Island, Georgetown, Myrtle Beach, mm-hmm. and the all coastal cities. But you know, I grew up in New York City. And New York City is, uh, you know, what they used to call a melting pot. <laughs> or, and then it was a salad bowl. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> then with New York City, specifically where I grew up in Brooklyn, was a diasporic hub. And so on my block, I believe that my, my family was the only family that was Black American, that was African American. Everyone else was from the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, and people from West Africa. And so that's how I grew up. I grew up believing that um, I was part of a global Black community. Mm. And my interest and curiosities always pointed East, always pointed uh, abroad. So I've always been interested in um, the, the the activities, the cultures, the ideas, the philosophies and cosmologies of the global Black diaspora, whether we are on the continent, we are in the Caribbean, South America, Europe, uh, Middle East and Asia. You know, it's always been an interest to me. And growing up in the 80s, I'm a child of the 70s, I grew up in the 80s, mm-hmm. a lot of these ideas about Pan-Africanism were in popular culture. It was definitely in hip hop, for sure. You know, so that's what I was listening to. And then on television, you had shows like A Different World, you know, that kind of leaned toward this thinking of um, scholars like Du Bois, who was also a, a Pan-Africanist. And so my 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 orientation has always been um, one that of a, a Pan-Africanist. And so when I was able to get my, get my own coin and... Um, have my own autonomy. I was on the continent of Africa. I was in Senegal mostly, mm. but I've traveled, you know, all over just looking at um, tradition and culture and music and beauty, you know, always fascinating to me. And um, so I, I um, started in Senegal because I was on a study abroad back in the late 90s. And I was just like, yeah, this is where I'd like to be. Mm. Because in New York City, there's a huge Senegalese community. And of course, I've interacted with that community through my faith. And so there was some familiarity. But then being in Senegal, you're just like, ah, okay, here's the context. Here's the origin. This is beautiful. I like this. I feel comfortable. Let me see what else there is. You know, let me um, get into all of these experiences. And so that's what I did. And I loved it. I was interested in um, Islam, of course, of course, interested in the many um, faith traditions, including some of the indigenous practices, Um, interested in the activism through faith, like Sheikh Ahmadou Bamba. So a lot of my work focused on um, the the Sufi brotherhoods, the Tariqas in Senegal. There are many, um, but I focused on the Morids, which is uh, one of the more visible ones. And um, there's a subgroup called the Bifal. So that was that was my work, you know, personal and, you know, assignment. But it was it was it was a, a journey into myself um, through my faith, through my gender um and through, you know, being a black woman. So I found myself in Senegal for many, many, many years <laughs> back in then, just always uncovering something. And, and that led me to Mali and it led me to Mauritania and Gambi, um, Morocco. <laughs> wow, that's, and that's great for like, uh, as speaking as an African-American. Yeah. Um, you know, and visiting. You family was from and I just went on uh-huh. no and you know what I, I love I love when uh when guests yeah. do that right I love when guests do that they just like just like pour it all out right and think all right cool interview done and I'm like wait a minute that's a lot of the stuff to impact yeah right? so, um, it back. yeah Real, so back. yeah we, we definitely have to go we have to rewind the script back to you know being you being in Brooklyn and then having that exposure just like so that you feel this global connection, right? 
because yeah. uh, as you know, me as an African American, I didn't always grow up. I didn't grow up with a Pan African uh, connection. You know, like I I understood it from like a logical perspective, but I didn't always see it in my environment in a way that made me feel connected to it. So the fact that you grew up within that and then as soon as you could, you you know, you had your sights set on the East and as soon as you can afford a ticket, you were out. I think that's great. And um, so, um, but that, that, that sort of highlights sometimes the, uh, the complexities in the black community where some folks feel a connection to the continent and other folks are like, nah, this is my home. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. I, I, I definitely know what you mean. And uh, there's a spectrum of, of experiences because you do have um, people who are rooted and we are rooted here in the United States we built this nation as, as black people, as African-Americans. And so it's our, it is our immediate home, you know, and I like to talk about the South as like my immediate motherland, you know, my mm-hmm. family is China and that I, I know that that is like in my bones, you know? Mm-hmm. And so as we out, you know, you have your, you have, um, your identity as a person of African descent, you know, a person of, of West African descent, you know, sometimes, you know, exactly you can pinpoint it. Sometimes you just know, look, look, I am a person of West, um, West African descent. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, it can be an abstract concept if you are not kind of actively um, engaging, you know, especially in school, you know, if depending on the school that you go to, mm-hmm. You may not know anything exactly. about the African continent, or if you do know something, it's just going to be some it's all falsified, mm-hmm. primitive lies, stereotypical, um, stereotypical ideas that actually push you away from exactly. wanting to know um, where you're from. Exactly, you know, really unfortunate. Yeah, and you know, even in when I was in college. And I was starting, that was like the beginning of my discovery of like Pan-Africanism and and feeling that connection to the motherland. You know, there was an African student union and I always look back and wonder like, how come I didn't spend more time chilling with the the students that were in the African union, right? And African union is made up of, you know, the different countries, you know, on the continent. And they just kind of like, put all of the students in one union, right? Right. Looking back, I'm like, why didn't I, you know, engage with those those students? And when I went to Ghana in 2016, like shortly after I met you, Mm -hmm. um, one of my friends... I thought you went before that. Okay. Ah. You know, I'm not even... I think I'm getting my timeline a little mixed up. I think I reached out to you did I just get back from Ghana or was I going to leave to Ghana? I forget. I forget which part it was. I feel like you reached out. I had saw work from Ghana from you. Okay. And I was just like, oh, wow. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Okay, cool. So maybe it was when I returned. But um, one of my friends out there, I actually went to school with him at Binghamton University. And he was part of the, you know, the African Student Union. He's Ghanaian. And he became one of my best friends out out there. Not only out there, but, you know, just in life. Like, I still keep in touch with him to this day. And mm-hmm. we were, we always laugh, like, about how I didn't... I wasn't connected with him or, or with his friends while we were in school together because it still felt a little different, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, he may not understand my culture. I may not understand his culture. And there was, like, this sort of divide, you know? But now it's like, that's one of my closest friends, you know, so um, it's just funny how, how evolution works and maturity works. Absolutely. And like you said earlier, everything happens at the, the right time, Absolutely. you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So growing up in Brooklyn, growing up with this uh, Pan-African, you know, um, way of seeing the world, like what was it like growing up in your home? You know, how did your family view the arts? Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, that's really interesting too. Like, so like I said, my folks came up from South Carolina and they were very much in, 
into the Black arts movement. So whatever was what whatever was local um, happening in in Brooklyn and New York City, they were involved. You know, they were involved in this organization here in Brooklyn called the East. Um, they were involved with um, even smaller organizations, community putting on community shows and um, being in community that. Um, let me see how how would I, I explain it, but just just very much uh, artistic, facing, engaging people, you know, incorporating the uh, the music and the aesthetic and and the traditions of Southern culture and a diaspora. You know, my grandmother she used to sing this song um, by the by the Mighty Sparrow. <laughs> You know, and I, I used to sing it, too. And it's really interesting. She used to sing because her best friend down the block was from Trinidad. And so they would exchange recipes. Like, my grandmother would make curry goat all the time. Mm. And so, and then my, the woman, her name was Barrel. And then I think she would make, um, you know, she made some really great collard greens, too. So it would it would be something like that, like all of these um, mixtures of, of friendship and, and then like womanhood. And um, my mother really, my mother, you know, was the photographer. So she was really into documenting what was happening in her immediate circles. You know, she was the one who contributed heavy to our family archive, to our family album for her generation. You know, I'm not sure who did it for the previous generation, but for, because, you know, generations contribute to this. So my mother was that person and she felt I, um, it just a really immediate need to make photographs of everyone. And it was really interesting how, interesting how she did it. She would document what was happening. If we had parties, or, you know, whatever celebration we have. But then she was really interested in making portraits, just kind of standalone mm. photographs of our cousins and and any relative that, that was around. And so that was something I always paid attention to. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you, did you, um, so when you were younger, did you, like, look at the photos that your mom took? Were you, like, observing what she was doing? Um <laughs> Or did it just like click later on in life for you? I was observing what she was doing, you know, and then I was making photographs too because mm. sometimes she wanted photographs of herself and she wanted photographs of her with other family members. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to use a camera really early on. Um, I knew I knew what film was. I knew how to shop for film. I knew how to um, when to use a flash, when not to use a flash. So this is me like a at five, six, seven, eight years old, um, my mother always had film. She always had the camera ready and the film was always in the camera, you know? And interesting enough, a lot of those people that, a lot of the people that she made photographs of have passed away early. The generation that came up, they had a very comprehensive um, collection and archives of pictures of their relatives and ancestors. Like my sister can look and see all of our grand aunts, our cousins, and look at their face and see her face and their face, you know? And that's the power and beauty of pictures, uh, specifically portraiture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, looking at your work, it's very clear that you care about the people you're photographing. Even if you're only photographing them for that moment, there's a care in the photo. There's a care in in the gaze, right? And, yeah, um, thank you. You're, you're <laughs> welcome. And, you know, so how do you approach photographing people in a new environment? Like you land in a new place, yeah. you know, settle in, eventually take your camera out, right? Then you hit the streets. What's that process yeah. like for you to prepare to take photos in a new place, in a new culture? Yes. So the the camera actually um, guides my questions. It guides my curiosities and it guides my inquiries. You know, a lot of my photographs in my archive are are visual notes, you know, photographs that I wouldn't necessarily exhibit or publish anywhere, but they um, ask a question or they remind me to remember this or to look, look that up when I get 
to a place where I can look it up um, or maybe be in conversation with, with somebody who might know. So um, that's what the, the camera does for me. And I'm always excited, you know, and, but, but what the process looks like is that, and I know I said I was shy earlier and I, I am shy, but when I have my camera, I, I really don't have a problem with asking someone if, if we can collaborate on a photograph, you know, if I can make a photograph of them, it, it's, it's always, it's, it's not a problem, you know, um, I always have a smile on my face because when I see someone that I want to make a photograph of, I, I see something in them, you know, it depends, you know, they could be looking nice so they could have some like great energy or aura, but I'm drawn to them. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I would love to make their photograph. So let me just, um, let me just see, see what the possibilities are. And what I really like too um, and this happened to me a lot in Lagos when people tell me to snap them. Mm. I love you. Have you heard of that? Snap me. Snap me. <laughs> like, it's, it's very direct. Like, like I'm telling you. Yes. Snap. And so when I hear that, it what that felt like was um, the person is saying, snap me. I am beautiful. I trust you. And I want to be remembered. Mm-hmm. You know, and so so that that's what that is like, you know, um, and like all of my fear and all of my my nervousness kind of goes away when I have my camera and I want to engage and I want to collaborate. So um, that's what the camera does for me. It it, it, it gives me a little bit of. Mm. <laughs> that's so interesting. And, you know, when you said you were shy earlier and I'm looking at your photos, I'm like, you're shy, but your photos speak loud and clear. Thank you. And and you're welcome. And on the flip side, you know, I'm working on a project and right now and I sort of freeze up trying to embed myself into this community. And I just always find it interesting people who have the personality to just to just to just do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think it just it takes um, uh, you know there's there's elements of a great photograph you know time, curiosity, mm-hmm. questions, um, sincerity, all of those things. You know I, I believe that you have all of those Idris because your photographs and and your work for sure conveys all of those wonderful things. You know. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I mean, it's it. Is it? I definitely feel like it's a it's a personality thing. It's a um. I think I I, I want to make sure that people know that I'm using the photos properly, and I think I, I'm just in my head too much about like how how it comes off, you know, when I ask them. But um, you know, I'll pick your brain a little bit more. Um, <laughs> so you know, you asked, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. You know, you asked me earlier about um. Growing up. Yes. And so I spent many, many years in my youth as a dancer. Many, many years. Ah, okay. Ballet. I studied Haitian dance. Mm -hmm. I did uh, modern Horton technique, grand technique, all of those things. Um, And so there was, and then, and so, um, and I loved Alvin Ailey. And so when I went to high school, Alvin Ailey's studio was down the block from my high school. And sometimes I would um, give myself a break from school, um, a.k.a., you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would go Cut. down <laughs> and check check out the, the, you know, rehearsal sometimes, dance classes sometimes. And I remember encountering a book of photographs of the Alvin Ailey Dance Studio, Dance Company, um, and those photographs were by Jack Jack Mitchell. Beautiful collection of black and white photographs made with medium format format camera, documenting the the almost the beginning up into like the nineties of the progression of the um, the studio. And I thought that that was so beautiful. And I and I was into photography at the time, but I was also a dancer. And I was just like, wow. Look at how these worlds intersect. Mm. 
you know, and so I've always been interested in seeing how different disciplines discipline um, intersect. I'm sorry, my um, I don't know who they're looking for. <laughs> them, ghetto, <laughs> them ghetto birds hovering. Ghetto birds. <laughs> it's like anyway. So I was, I'm always interested in how how to collaborate, how these our disciplines intersect, and I've always been interested in wanting to do that. And also, one of my dance teachers would always play, um, when we were on the bar uh, doing our techniques, she would always play Miriam McCaver. And so we had, my grandmother had uh, Miriam McCaver's album in our house, and she, we, she had many of the albums in the house. And then she had the album with Harry Belafonte that they did, which is such a beautiful Pan-African collaboration. Um, and so... One of the things that I was always interested in, I was always wanting to meet Marianne McCabe because she was a hero. Mm-hmm. She was an activist. She was a singer. And she was just this all-around Renaissance woman, you know. And I was just like, I would always want to meet her. And I did. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I, I, I have a little bit of a story. Do you mind if I share it? Please do. So, I, you know, I was just, I don't know why this, oh, you know why it popped in my head? I, I saw a, a show recently at the Apollo by Somi. She did a, a dedication to Marion McCabe. So I was thinking about her recently. So I think this was my first or second international assignment. It was to Morocco. And I was, I was so excited. I was going to Morocco to document this festival called the... Um, the World Sacred Music Festival. So it was a festival that invited singers and, and bands and musicians um, that were kind of faith-based, um, loosely, kind of, sort of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I went out there to document it, and Maria McCabe was the headline. She was headline of the... Uh, and I was just like, this is going to be great. This is going to be amazing. I am meeting my hero, my idol. This is going to be amazing. So when I landed, I... Um, I was a little bit congested because I was, and then I was a little bit jet lagged, like, you know, mm-hmm. this flight, not too long, seven hours, seven and a half hours, but the, the, the climate was different. So I was just like feeling congested and I was like, what am I going to do? So i there was a friend of mine who was there with her husband teaching. They were living there teaching. And I remembered, so I was like, oh, maybe, I, maybe I'll go by there and just say hello. They might have something, you know? So I went there. And I told my friend, I was just like, hey, I'm feeling congested. Do you have anything? And she was just like, yeah, I have a, I have a whole bowl full of Sudafed and whatever, and NyQuil, blah, blah, blah. And so we went to her kitchen. She looked in the bowl, and she did have a big bowl full of pills. <laughs> <laughs> and like, okay, I, she was just digging through them. And I said, uh, she was like, okay, this is the one. This is going to clear you up. This is Sudafed. It's just going to, you know, antihistamine or whatever. Take this. And then she was like, oh, no, that's not the one. That's that's the one for... Wait, that's were, they, be- were they wrapped or they were just like different colors? All yeah, the they were wrapped. Okay. Some were wrapped, you know, and, but, you know. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> you, you know those bowls and those... Yeah, bowls. exactly. <laughs> and she was like, okay, wait, don't take that one. Take this one. This one is going to... This is This is the one for daytime. Take this one. And I was just like, okay. So I took the pill and I left. And I, the show was that night, and Miriam McKayla was going to be performing. So I was walking down the street in Morocco. I was in Fez, and I, you know, I had just taken this pill, and I started to get so drowsy. Oh boy! I, and I was just like, "Yo, she gave me the, the wrong, wrong pill." pill. <laughs> what? <laughs> so I just, I was just wandering, and I wandered into this hotel. I wandered past the the um, front desk and I went into the there was a pool area and I sat down on one of the pool chairs and I put my camera down next to me I had my camera and I just fell asleep I was knocked out wow this strange hotel wow <laughs> and so I woke up I was later it was dark and I was just like oh my goodness I need to be at this festival making photographs and interviewing Marion McCabe. My God. You know, and so I jumped up, I got my camera, and I was just, like, trying to find my way to this festival, and I finally found it. I walked in, and there she was on stage performing, and her son, Lamumba, was on keys, and I made my photographs and spoke to her later on. And I was just like, 
like a full circle moment for me, um, just being prepared as a photographer overseas, you know, mm-hmm. on a song, being ready and not um, kind of taking chances like <laughs> like that, being prepared. So any assignment I have now, I'm just like completely prepared with anything I might need, mm-hmm. you know, any variables that, you know, is going to get thrown in the mix, you know. What's up, family? If you're enjoying this episode, do us a solid by leaving us a five-star rating or reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We appreciate the support. So on that note, we're going to get back into the show. Peace. So you... Your experience, <laughs> right? You have experience on this land and you have experience across the seas. So your variables are much different than the average photojournalist or the, the the beginning photographer, what their variables might be, right? But I'm sure that you are prepared for more things that the average person may not be prepared for. So what are some of the things that, what are some of the pre- preparations you make before you go out to uh, photograph an assignment? Man, you know, um, I write everything down. I'm, a, I'm one of those people that have, like, I keep post-its in business, like, mm. I'm number one customer. <laughs> you know, so I, I make I make lists. I write everything down because that helps me remember, you know, because if I tell myself I need, you know, whatever, batteries, but if I write it down, it re- helps reinforce um, my memory, you know, and so I make a lot of phone calls. I talk to folks. I'm always in conversation, you know, um, to see what what might pop up that I may not expect. I do a lot of research. I do a lot of reading. Any information I can get that, that can help me prepare, I'm doing that, you know. I, um in addition to, you know, making sure my batteries are charged mm-hmm. <laughs> and sure that I actually have my lens in my my um, camera bag and oh, not yeah. just the body. Or the, <laughs> the memory card is not like yeah. still in your computer and not in exactly. the camera. Exactly. You got to remember the photographs on the card. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so um, I, th- I think it's it's a for me, part of my photography practice is being in community, is being in conversations with other photographers. That That's part of it all. And that's mm-hmm. part of the learning experience, part of the practice. So I'm always talking to folks. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so you're not really shy then? You know, I may not be shy. I may have misdiagnosed myself. You're selective. <laughs> you're selective shy. <laughs> Yeah, that's that sounds more. That sounds about right. Because I feel like <laughs> if 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 you parachute into like a any type of photography community anywhere in the world, you're gonna find your you're gonna find your crew. You're gonna find your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But like if mm-hmm. they parachute you into like a I don't know, say like a architectural community or something, they're like, ah, you don't really have the same confidence because you don't really know what you're talking about. But when you're in photography, right, like this is your world. I, I ask a lot of questions. I, I get comfortable, try to get comfortable real quick, you know, mm-hmm. especially um, when there's bills on the line. Yeah, your <laughs> you coins, gotta, yeah. You got to get it done. But either way, I'm, I'm asking a lot of questions, you know. Yeah, I don't, because- I don't, I don't, I don't take you as shy. Like, I don't, I don't see that. I remember that, you know, you and I were in the same cohort for the New York Times portfolio review. And at that time, you know, it felt a lot like uh, high school cafeteria vibes, right? Where in between classes, when you go to the lunchroom, you kind of meet up with the same clique, right? So during that portfolio review, it was me, you, Michael Santiago, Michael McCoy, Reginald Thomas, Quasi Boyd, a few other folks, uh, Michael Stargell, that we would always just kind of like meet up and 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 share work and talk about how our reviews went. And after the review, we walked a mile to like this bar that was having like an after party for the for the um for the event. And you and I spoke the whole way. 
And in my mind, I was like, there's no way that this this woman is shy, right? But true to what you just mentioned, you did ask a lot of questions, you know, you about me. So yeah. the whole time I'm just talking about myself and I'm like, yeah, she's she's a great conversationalist because you're giving me the space to talk about myself. And we all love talking about ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I can see how that approach works out very well when you have a camera and your goal is to photograph people in an open and honest way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, it's that curiosity. It's that, it's that excitement. And it's interesting that you mentioned how at, during the New York Portfolio Review, there were people who gravitated toward one another. And I look at that as how I work too. Sometimes your stories gravitate toward you, you know, and you have to kind of be in service to that, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, okay. Instead of, sometimes we make it hard for ourselves. We go out and we, we may, you know, do a story that, that is kind of way out there and we have to do so much work to, to bring it, to reel it in. When there's another story that's just kind of like, take me, like I want, I want you, I'm picking you, you know? And so I, I, I think energy is a big thing, you know, mm-hmm. following that energy, paying attention, being curious and, and going with the thing that kind of is, is thinking and gelling with your interests and your, your energy. You know, we were coming together uh, for a reason because there was tons of photographers there, mm-hmm. you know, but for some reason people were kind of um, gravitating toward one another. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. that, that portfolio review, I don't remember getting a whole lot of, um, I didn't get any work out of it. Um, I didn't make any really long lasting connections with any of the editors that I, that I met with. But the most important part of that review were the other photographers that I met who, when we left, created a WhatsApp group and I called it the Black Black Shutter. I named the WhatsApp group the Black Shutter. Uh And from that group of like five or six of us, it, you know, keeping in touch, sharing work, asking questions, it kind of grew and grew and grew and then eventually grew into the podcast. So Mm -hmm. that portfolio review was like, one of the most important moments in my life because it eventually morphed into this community that we have. And I I feel really proud to be a part of and to be able to listen to, you know, everybody's stories, you know? So, you know, the fact that it was, it was very powerful that we were able, the people that gravitated towards each other, at least for me was very instrumental, you know, for my career and for just where I'm at in life right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember our conversation. I'm I'm trying to think um, what I think the thing that made me so curious initially about you was your name. Mm -hmm. So Idris. (laughs) And I was just like, ah, okay. Let me, let me, you know, play guessing game with myself. Where is he from? (laughs) (laughs) You know, is is he from Sierra Leone? Uh Is he from uh, is he from Morocco? But then I'm like, oh, he can't be from Morocco because I know that mm-hmm. he could be. But, you know, in Morocco, the, the men kind of tend to take the eye off. So I know a lot of dresses, you uh, know? Yes, yes, it's, yes. It's a really I know you're talking about. <laughs> so I was just like, ah, oh, let me have a conversation. Um, I'm curious, you know? And also, before I really got into photojournalism, I was a writer. You know, I was reporting. And I wanted to be like this big features writer and do photography too. But I definitely wanted to write cover stories. I was like studying many, many writers um, when I was coming up in the 90s. So I think that's where my curiosity comes from. For those out there, this podcast is recorded at home. And there's often uh, my son in the background um, who... Uh, we're teaching how to use his inside voice a lot more. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know if y'all if you'll hear it, but if you do, that's just uh, that's also uh, the that's byproduct life. of it's life, and it's a it's it's, it's a life of a working parent and a working parent during still during the pandemic. You know, so apologies if you hear him in the background, but that's where we are. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. You know, um, during the first year of the pandemic, it was a obviously it was a, a major 
historical moment, right? We got this virus that's like don't know nobody knows what the hell is going on with this thing, right? Yeah, um, tested. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the same time, it's like all of these protests happening, right? Yeah. And you know, I saw that you did some protest work, but what was interesting about the stories that you were telling was you were focused more on the people, the sub stories within the protest, as opposed to being out there and getting like the big crowds and all of that really high intense energy. But you you kind of like went to the side and, and photographed some like really intimate portraits of people that were still being affected by all of the protests that were happening. And that to me shows that regardless of where you are in the world or what kind of work you're doing, you are still focused on that person so that we get that intimate connection with them when we look at that photo. You know, how do you go about bringing that type of energy out of the people you photograph? Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, 2020 was an interesting year for for, for um, the news and for Black photographers. I feel like we were... We were we were covering a lot of stories, mm-hmm. you know, and our work was being incorporated um, in a more substantial way. And in the news cycle, I, I you know I noticed that. But um, <clears throat> I was um, I was in Minneapolis, and I was really happy to be there. I went on my own. The, um, I was just like you know. My my brother, Russell Frederick, he was like, we got to go out there. And I was just like, we do. And so we went out there and I was making portraits. I, I wanted to know because I hadn't been to Minneapolis in a long time. I had an exhibition out there perhaps in 2006, you know, and that was the last time I've been out there. So I needed to get reacclimated with, with mm-hmm. the city, cities. So that's a lot of where my portraiture work came from. So when I first got out there, I was making portraits of people and I was interviewing people and mm-hmm. just you know, get some context. And so a few days later, um, my editors from the New York Times reached out and they put me on the team of photographers who were out there too, um, which which was great. And I was able to do really interesting stories. I did a story about the Somali community. Mm-hmm. I did a story about uh, activism and tattoos. Mm-hmm. I did a story um, on one of the uh, congresswomen and and her perspective on raising a black black son, a, a boy, mm-hmm. I did a story on a barber who had his um his shop burned down. Mm-hmm. I wrote an essay for the Nation about my perspective on on George Floyd's life. I did a lot of uh, I wouldn't say smaller stories, but stories that were adjacent to the bigger, mm-hmm. uh, the handed. Um, protests and and, and um, demonstrations that were out in the street, and also you know there are photographers who 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 excel, who do really great storytelling around documenting the demonstrations. You yeah. have to feel exactly. to to do that to to be effective in and um, you know I was just like I I felt really great about the photographers who were doing that, but I know that. Where my strength and interest is, is in the stories that are, um, you know, kind of singular and and based in portraiture. Yeah, so, and, and it's important yeah. that we, we get that breadth of coverage, you know. Yeah. Everybody can't be out there, you know, um, in attack mode, you know. Um, you need those quieter moments as well, and that helps to round out the overall experience, you know, like... Yeah. We are inundated with, you know, intensity, you know, yeah. um, whether it's the, the 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 violent act that led to the demonstrations to begin with and seeing that brutality repeated, 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 mm-hmm. or seeing the photos of people demonstrating and the anger and the emotion and the tears and the violence that, that, that can sometimes um, spark between protesters and, you know, police, you know, is a lot of intensity and yeah. but there's also a lot of people who quietly protest yeah. and a lot of people who have anxieties around that and yeah. their stories are just as important because it's part of the whole structure that exists between, you know, people protesting and the governments or whatever. So it's important that we have people like you who focus on the portraiture side, you know, to bring it closer to home. 
I did so much portraiture that year. I mean, I've, I always loved portraiture. Um, but I am coming out with a book, actually, on all Uh-oh. of the... Yeah. <laughs> Yo. That's one of my... I have a few books coming out. But that book um, is telling the story of 2020 only through portraiture. Wow. And so you see the the change in the year. You see the mask come. You see some of the demonstrations and, and the context in the background. And so that, that should be coming out this summer. I've been working on it for a while. It was supposed to come out last year. But it was actually difficult to look at some of the photographs, even though they, they were just portraiture, but it reminded me of the intensity of 2020. So, you know, I gave myself some room and some space to kind of think about and um, approach it in the in the way that I, during, on my time, basically. So, um, so, yeah, I'm excited about that. I think it's an interesting way to remember what we went through in 2020. Yeah, you should be excited about it. I mean, any photographer yeah. who gets to the point in their career where they can put out a book, you mm-hmm. know, that like that lives forever, you know? Yeah. That lives forever. Oh. And that's a great, that's a great accomplishment, you know? And, you know, I love the fact that you are one of, I don't want to say one of the few, but this, I don't see a lot of photographers who focus as much on exhibiting as they do in making the photos. Like you seem to have uh, a drive to exhibit a lot of your work in addition to making your work. Like I, I know a lot, like myself, I make more work than I exhibit. Yeah. And, and you know, I know a lot of photographers who are in, in a similar boat as I am. But then there's the few I know who are always finding ways to have exhibits. Like I look at your your page and you have group exhibits and you have solo exhibits and you're in big museums and college museums and like all over. Like I was scrolling on your accolades page and I just kept scrolling. It just kept going. I was like, good Lord, this is this is so impressive. You know, um, so the fact that, you know, you said you mentioned that you have a book coming out. Hopefully you can tell us the name of it. But also yeah. the fact that you are co-creator of, of um, phone, you know, you have like this, this, uh, this really interesting way of always making sure your work is displayed or exhibited. You know, tell us about why it's important for you to make sure your work is seen. Yeah, well, like I mentioned earlier, a huge part of my photographic practice is being in community, being engaged. Mm -hmm. So having your work in an exhibition so people can come and see and question and challenge part of my practice. And so I I, I like that, you know, it, it moves the conversation forward. It helps me learn. It helps the viewer learn. We are collaborating on these ideas that are presented in the photograph. So I'm I'm always trying to publish my work, exhibit my work, put it out there somehow so that it can grow and be part of the conversation and and move things forward. So um yeah, I I love it. I I'm so happy that I've been able to exhibit my work um in the Bamako Biennale in Mali and the Manifesto Biennale in Italy and the Brighton Photo Biennale England, you know, as well as, as here in the States. I, I really do love it and I'm so grateful and I hope to be able to um, do it more, you know, and actually at one point exhibiting my work was more accessible than publishing it, believe wow. it or not. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so, so I think that's why I have a lot of exhibitions. <laughs> you know, it's funny too, because I see that you've done a lot of talks like yeah. overseas. <laughs> And throughout the states, mm-hmm. at a certain point, that shyness got to be like, nah. Is the year of yes? I, I say yes. Yeah. I say, um, even though, even sometimes when you got to do it afraid, like they say, do it. Yeah, afraid. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I, I took my son. My so for two years, my son has been out of Taekwondo, and mm-hmm. this past Saturday brought him back in for the first time. And as we're getting out of the car. He starts to freeze. He's like, I'm scared. I'm like, what are you scared of? He was like, I don't know. I'm just scared to go in. So I had to coach him that even though we're scared, we still have to do it. And I said, "There's." No, I asked him, like, do, do you know the difference between fear and danger? He was like, mm-hmm. yeah. 
I was like, tell me, what's the difference? He said, fear is just something that you're, you know, is something that is scary, but danger means that you, you can get hurt. It's real. Exactly. Danger is real. And I was like, are you in danger right now? He was like, no. I said, so you can still do that thing that you're scared of because you're not going to get hurt. You're just scared and nothing's going to happen to you. Oh, that's great. yeah. Yeah. So, um, he still stayed in the car a little bit longer, right? Yeah. But initially, you know, that eventually got him out of the car and back into the um, into the Taekwondo studio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's amazing. You're a great dad. That's a great way to explain it to I, anyone. Yeah. Kid, I, talk, I was talking to myself. I was like, it... <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you know, this thing, there's all types of foolish things that we're afraid of. Right. You know, um, especially as creatives, like, oh... They, if I put, if I if I publish, if I post this, what's gonna happen? What are people yeah. gonna think? Is this yeah. not my voice? Is this? Am I repeating the same thing, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Et cetera. All types of like foolishness, you know. Like mm-hmm. it's just a photo. I'm yeah. not gonna be in danger. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna care, you know. It, yeah, people just you know they're gonna look at it. They're gonna have your their opinion, and that's that. That's exactly. the world. Exactly. I'm I, we all feel that way. I feel like, you know, I have another book coming out, Black Photographers. I've been working on it for a while now, you know. And so um, I look forward to that coming out, too, because it's it's text and it's uh, it's the portraits I make of the, the photographer and also a little bit of their life story, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, interested in what the um, public will think about the book, too, and the stories being shared. Mm-hmm. I think that's another... Um, kind of medium that we need to have a greater presence in in publishing. We all yeah. need all all of us have at least one book in us and and I feel like we need to strive for that for sure. Yeah, and you know, in all honesty, hearing you talk about like three books now, you have one out already, two more in the works. Yeah. And there's a few other um photographers who are really big on publishing and and um printing and exhibiting. It's really inspiring me, you know. You have to. Yeah. It becomes part of the archive. And, you know, when you look back at the archive, you you see what isn't there, what's not present. And then you think about who's controlling it, you know, who's curating the archive. And all of those questions come up. There's an issue of of memory and erasure. Mm. These are things that we always have to um, be cognizant of, be present and, and look to push back on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we have to, if we don't see us represented in those spaces, then we have to insert ourselves. Yeah. Or if mm-hmm. it, in a di- like completely go in another direction and create our own space. We're not trying exactly. to, we don't have to force ourselves into somebody else's space. Build our Ex- own space. This is very, very true. This is very, very true. You know, I- I always okay. mention that, you know, mm-hmm. um, when Umphone came out, the book came out, it was at the around the same time when, you know, like Diversify Photo was coming mm-hmm. out and um, Women Photograph and Black Women Photographers and Authority Collective. It was like this, you know, year, you know, 18 month window where a lot of, you know, sub, sub uh, groups were emerging. Activism. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And people saying, no, I'm creating my, my my own space without asking for permission or without apologizing for it. And exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I saw all of these, those, those organizations that I just mentioned and something in me clicked and was like, shit, yeah, why not? Why not exactly. create something only specifically mm-hmm. for black and brown photographers? And mm-hmm. I'm not going to apologize about it. And now we can do it, too, because I remember when me and Delphine, Delphine Fawanda, who is a co-author of Fun with me, we were like, we need a book on Black women in photography. Yeah. This was back in 2004. Mm-hmm. We were like, Where, where's our book? And we, you know, we got the, our proposal together and we shopped it around and no publisher would, would publish it. They would. You know, like, no way, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, who's the audience? Who's, how are we going to market this? Um, and so that was us, like, 
kind of depending on the establishment. And 10 years went by and self-publishing became more accessible to us, social media. And so in 2017, we were like, we can self-publish a book on Black women in photography. We can completely do this ourselves. And we did. And that was a huge... You know, I'm, I'm really proud that we were able to at least have this book out in the world for people to for as a as a means of, of witnessing that black women. Yes. That's work women, African women have been engaging in the photographic medium since forever and doing mm-hmm. really significant work. And here is here is one form of proof. And, you know, um, I was just so happy we were able to do that, you know, uh, absolutely. And, yeah, yeah, I really am. Mhm. Absolutely. You know, um I still have not got my hands on the book. <laughs> you know, I know it was selling out. Um Yeah. But, you know, I'm definitely I, I I need to have like that book. It's tactile. I need to like flip through the pages and and see it, you know, and experience it. But, you know, congratulations for for that having that that insight and that vision to make that book happen. You know. Yeah. And I'm sure the I'm sure the women who collaborated and who are part of the collection, I'm sure like that's a great achievement for them as well. And I, I hope it inspires, you know, the next generation of photographers to to um create anthologies like this yes. of our our peers, our contemporaries, and and gather us together and gather their peers and contemporaries together. Mm-hmm. In- collection, whether it be an archive, a book or whatever, we I feel like we really do need to um put a lot of energy into recording and documenting our presence and our our work in the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you know what does it mean for you to know like your work is is viewable and available to so many people across the world? Like did you ever think that when you first started out, when you were looking at photos of your that your mom was taking, and you were, you know, pressing that shutter on the camera, that one day you would have photos all over the world that people would know your name globally. Uh, I <laughs> I do know people know my name in Brooklyn. I, maybe some people <laughs> in my world, <laughs> my name around the world. But I, I've always been someone who who had a vision of engaging you know, on a, on a bigger stage and a bigger platform. And so, like I said, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write, you know, I love Toni Morrison. I really loved Kevin Powell and, and um, Karen Good and Joe Morgan. So those were the writers who were writing in the late 80s and the 90s um, critically and brilliantly about hip hop and Vibe magazine and Rolling Stone and all of that. So that's, that's what I wanted to do. And I knew that I would do that, um, in, in some capacity, in some some way. So I always kind of saw myself engaging some way, somehow, on a bigger stage w- when I got older. Um, but, now, you know, now it's photography. And I, I'm always appreciative when um, people reach out, people ask me to be on their podcast, <laughs> people ask me to exhibit my work, or people ask me to come speak at a college or, or be in an anthology and things like that. It makes me proud. And I, I feel like um, I'm just I'm living my ancestors wildest dreams, I guess, you know, as mm-hmm. they say, mm-hmm. I want to do I want to do the best job that I possibly can. That That's very important to me because, you know, photographers that came before me, like Chester Higgins and Manita Sleet and Deborah Willis and Ming Smith, Salima Ali, and just so many photographers. I want to make them proud as well. You know, I want to make people, the, the thinkers and the theorists and the documentarians of, of Black culture who came before me and, and had done this work, I want to make them proud, too. And I want to um, expand the conversation. Wow. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a great way to, to summarize this conversation. I think that was a great way to end. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I had a I had a question, but I think that that right there was like a great. What's the question? The, well, the question was, um, <laughs> with you know, you you are an advocate for black female photographers. Um, what have some as a, as a black woman photographer? What are some of the most memorable experiences for you so far? And it could be 
they don't have they, whatever they are, good or bad. What's some of the most memorable experiences that you've had? Wow, that that is a great question. Um, I would say, I would say, putting out a book on black women in photography and fun, mm-hmm. you know, having it named after fun Essien, who was an incredible black woman photographer, <laughs> you know. An American woman photographer, and also um, the year that I put out, the year that we published in fun was the year that I watched my mother, you know, pass away slowly, mm. you know. And I remember I would bring my laptop to the hospital and sit next to her and work on the book and edit the book. Mm. Well, it was almost like you know she was she was transitioning, but I wanted to show her what her legacy is and was, you know, her making the photographs and this is how it manifested in her daughter. And when Fung came out in the, in the, um, in the fall of that year, you know, she passed away soon. And so I, I think that that was a kind of a moment of completion, like, you know, here is this book, here is what photography uh, means to me in my life. And, you know, make you know sitting next to my mother and showing her you know what (laughs) I can't and just just kind of showing her you know what this what this um what it came out to be what things came you know I've I've had many amazing encounters this this camera just creates so many amazing encounters Mm -hmm. as you so many, you know, from photographing people who are who are famous to photographs just being in in Brooklyn or being in Dakar, being in uh, you know, Muscat or Paris, you know, wherever you go, it really brings the magic to life, you know, it, it makes life better, especially if you're using it in a way to expand and explore and, and for the betterment. Of, of life in the world. This is Layla Amatala Bahrain, and you are tuned into the Black Shetta podcast. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned into this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shutter podcast is hosted by me, Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shutter podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five-star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.